Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. I want to talk to you tonight about uh, judgment, kind of what we talked about this morning, uh, but I want to talk about the final judgment and just give you uh, one exhortation and two comforts from that doctrine. First, um, I was recently talking to a friend, and uh, we'll just call him John, okay? And he told me that a mutual friend of ours had called him up, and and he said that the mutual friend uh, said he was calling because he was worried that John was going to hell. That's why our mutual friend called him. Now, you should understand that John, the man telling me this story, is a well-known, highly educated um, teaching, ordained teaching elder in the PCA uh, that sometimes teaches at Reformed seminaries. And my mutual friend had called him up and said, I'm worried that you're going to hell. And, uh, and you would think John would be offended, right? Uh, he's decorated, experienced, and ordained. Um, so I didn't know where the story was going, but he told me it was a great encouragement to him. He's actually encouraged that this guy called him up. He was encouraged that the man cared enough about the state of his soul to call him up and state his concern. He said none of his closest friends had ever asked a question like that or brought that up. And he was glad that someone was willing to, to ask him what's going on with your soul. I'm worried about you. Right? I'm worried that you might be heading to hell. And uh, I wonder how many of us possesses the humility for someone to ask a question like that and us respond that way. I think most of us would get offended. I'm pretty sure I would. Um, but hell, heaven, final judgment, are subjects that loom uh, large in Scripture. God's abundantly clear that a day is coming, a very specific day in the future, when he intends to judge every single person for every single thought. And there will be absolutely no secrets. Everything will be brought into the light. And yet... This is a doctrine that offends many and makes the rest of us uncomfortable, especially those who have to preach it sometimes. Um, and it's a crazy thing. It's because it's a cardinal doctrine, right? It's one of the essentials. It's not a minor. It's a major. This part of eschatology, right, the theology of end things, is the part that you can't move on, that you must believe. We can differ in lots of parts, right? Post-millennialism versus amillennialism and all the isms, right, that people like to talk about. Uh, you can differ on that, but you can't differ on the fact that Jesus is coming again. There's going to be a bodily resurrection, and there's going to be a final judgment of every soul. And it's very important. It comes up everywhere in Scripture, everywhere. I'm just going to give you a couple examples. Uh, Enoch, who was the seventh from Adam, all, uh, all of whose life was on earth except the last 22 years was contemporaneous with Adam. So he, he was preaching this when he was with Adam, in other words. Um, he prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So back there in that, that world before the flood, that was the message they were preaching. That was that's the only one of the few sermons we know of prior to the flood. And we know Enoch was preaching the judgment. Psalm 50 says, The mighty one, God, the Lord, has spoken and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. 
May our God come and not keep silent. Fire devours before him, and it is very tempestuous around him. He summons the heaven above and the earth to judge his people. Gather my godly ones to me, to those who have made a covenant with, my, uh, with me by sacrifice. And the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. This is, one, this is part of God's identity. He is a judge. It's who he is. It's of his essence. He will judge people. Right? So to have the final judgment off is to misunderstand the nature of God. That's partially why it's cardinal. That's why it's so important. That's why it's a major thing. No one wants to look at God as just judge, right? Very few people do. He's like a, like a friendly grandfather in the sky for most people, you know, something like that. You know, he is a judge, and he will judge everyone. Uh, of course, Revelation 20. And I saw a great white throne and him sitting on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and a place was not found for them. And I saw the dead, the small, and the great stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead in them. And each one of them was judged according to their works. And death and hell was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone was not found having been written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. So again, we have the beginning of the world, the message being preached, and, and this is uh, what's going to happen at the end of the age. Of course, Jesus says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, have we not done many, have we not cast out demons in your name, done mighty things in your name, prophesied in your name? And he'll say to them, uh, I do not know you, right? Depart from me, who practice lawlessness. That's a day of judgment. These uh, pseudo-Christians, these people who have some form but lack the power of godliness. Later in Matthew, uh, Jesus says, All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate from one another as a shepherd uh, separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And then he welcomes the sheep into his kingdom and the goats to eternal punishment. And that's just a small sampling. I mean, just stick the word judge like BibleGateway.com, or type in Final Judgment and, and see where it shows up in Scripture, how major a, of a theme it is. Um, it, it's everywhere. It's, it's hard not to, to teach on it every Sunday. You would be just to teach on it every Sunday. Like someone could teach on it for 104 Sundays, for two years, right? And, and they would be absolutely just. And for you to get mad, you would be in the wrong. That's how much it comes up in Scripture. If we're to emphasize what Scripture emphasizes, and that's what we have to get to, if we're to emphasize what Scripture emphasizes, we would be safe. Now, we don't do that here. But if we did, you should be happy that someone's teaching uh, what Scripture teaches. And this is not a doctrine that people like to hear about. But it is essential, and that's why it's mentioned in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasius' Creed. They all said Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And what's, what comes after that? Who remembers? See at the hand, what? Quick and the dead. I love the old translation. This sounds cool, right? Quick and the dead. From there he'll come to judge the living and the dead. So that's in that most basic creeds. It's, it's, it's in there with all those other things. Um, 
Spurgeon was trying to get the Baptists in London to agree to a simple statement. And they wore him down to where he was just going to be satisfied if he could get them to get behind um, the Apostles' Creed. But they, they, the biggest trouble they had was resurrection and final judgment. And um, so people struggle with it there. But it's also in um, our confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says, God has appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given of the Father, in which day not only the apostate angels shall be judged, but likewise all persons that have lived upon earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. So it's there. There's two, that's just one section. There's some more that I, I, I really encourage everyone to read through the Westminster Confession of Faith. You're going to think it's going to be like dry and dusty. It's not at all. It's very warm, very pastoral and helpful. And you go through and uh, read like a section with your family and then go to the scripture proofs and discuss it. You can actually use it for family devotions pretty easy. Um, and I, I recommend it. Now, another statement on this that's excellent is the Belgic Confession. I love, let me just read it some of this to you. Finally, we believe according to God's word that when the time appointed by the Lord is come, which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the elect is complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly as he ascended with great glory and majesty to declare himself the judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. And it goes on. Then all human creatures will appear in person before the great judge, men, women, and children. And children, Bradley. Everyone. All you will have to answer to God. We all will. Who have lived for the, uh, from the beginning until the end of the world. Then will be summoned there by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the divine trumpet. For all those who died before the time will be raised from the earth their spirits being joined and united with their own bodies in which they lived. And as for those who are still alive, they will not die like the others, but will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from corruptible to incorruptible. Then the books, that is the consciences. I don't know if I agree with that interpretation or not. I'll have to think about it, but that's how the Belgic runs with it. Will be open and the dead will be judged according to the things they did in the world whether good or evil. Indeed, all people will give account of all the idle words they've spoken, or for this generation, typed, text, posted, which the world regards as only playing games. As only playing games. What's the big deal, man? Come on, it's just a joke. Lighten up. And then the secrets and hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. It's hard for Andrew to get up here and talk about weaknesses, but a day's coming where you will truly be unrobed. Everything. And that's the day you want to be clothed with Christ, right? So you can just go through all these. Belgic Confessions, uh, Second Helvetic Conf- um, Confession. I just read a bunch of them. They're really, you can go to like reform.org. And just go look for last things or the final judgment and read it. It's a good habit to get into and see what the little differences are and really focus on where everyone agrees, you know, because if everyone agrees, it's probably the most important part. But I want to give you three points. Three points is from this doctrine. 
And the first is an exhortation that a day of judgment's coming, and you will have to answer to God. You're going to have to answer to God. This is not some um, Billy, this is not like a text that Billy Graham owns. You know, you think of a lot of people that do altar calls and guilt trip people. And, you know, I was a youth pastor. We'd have everyone put their head down. We'd do the whole, like, play, um, uh, was shout to the Lord real quietly. And have someone, like, raise their hand if they want to get saved again. Right? We just scare everyone and guilt them into coming up. Uh, that's not what this is. This is what Puritans, Reformers, early church fathers, this is what they all talk about. They all focus on the coming day. It's a big part of their preaching. If you start reading their sermons, it's going to come up all the time. And you're going to be shocked by their boldness. And you're going to want to ride it off as some weird guilt trip, fire and brimstone, gone too far sort of stuff. But it's not. We can't let the abuse of something get in the way of the right use of it, Right? And uh, so now's a good time to ask yourself some questions. But one question in particular, are you sheep or are you, are, are you a sheep or a goat? Which one are you? Are you wheat or chaff? And so let me borrow heavily from J.C. Ryle on this. I find Ryle to be very helpful on matters like this. Um, are you among the wheat or among the chaff? Neutrality is impossible. Either you're in one class or in the other. Which is it of the two? It's that simple. The world hates that, but there is a binary, uh, binary breakdown in the whole world, right? There's not like multiple religions. There's Christianity and every other false religion, right? Every other, this idolatry is what it is. Christianity, idolatry. Saved, unsaved. God is your, your father and friend and savior. God is your enemy, right? You, it is like that. And young, and young Christian kids, my sons, listen to this. Think about this. Take this serious. Take it serious that you're in one or the other. And uh, in which of the two? Yeah, you attend church, right? Good. You're here. Um, you go to the Lord's table. You like good people, you keep pretty good company. Um, you can distinguish between good preaching and bad. Uh, you attend Bible studies. You even come down and protest at abortion clinics with us. You sometimes read religious books. Maybe you've even read this one I'm, I'm quoting from right now. And that's all well. It's very well. And it's good and it's all very good. There's more than can be said of many, but still, this is not a straightforward uh, answer to the question, are you wheat or are you ch- chaff? Which one are you? Have you been born again? Are you a new creature? Have you put off the old man and put on the new? Have you ever felt your sins? Felt them? Right? Some reformed people don't like feelings. But feelings are a gift from God. Just like nerves are a gift to us. Nerves tell us when something's good, like it feels good, and when something's bad, right? And God gives us feelings, right? Emotions. Have you felt your sins and repented of them? Are you looking simply to Christ for pardon in life eternal? Do you love Christ? Do you serve Christ? Do you loathe heart sins and fight against them? Right? There's not just the actions. Right? God, God cares about our heart, what's going on inside of us. You know, it's, when you first, I became a Christian when I was 17, and, uh, you know, my, my mouth cleaned up pretty quick. Not all the way, but pretty quick. A lot of other sins, 
uh, just faded away right away. And then you think, whoa, man, like, I'm pretty sanctified. And uh, you come from my family, just a couple of those things set you apart. You become a black sheep for the right reasons. But, um, but then, then you keep reading the word, and then God starts to really get into your heart. And then it's almost overwhelming, right? Overwhelming the amount of sin. It's a weird thing as you grow in holiness, right? You sin less, but you feel more sin. Um, do you loathe heart sins? Do you long for perfect holiness? Follow hard after it. Have you um, come out of the world? Do you delight in the Bible? Do you wrestle in prayer? Do you love Christ's people? Do you try to do good to the world? Are you vile in your own eyes and willing to take the lowest place? Are you a Christian in business on weekdays and by your own fireside? Think on these things, and then perhaps you'll be better uh, able to tell the state of your soul. You have to, you have, to have some degree of self-inquiry. It can turn into morbid in- introspection, and you can think about yourself too much. But you have to be pastoring your own soul. You have to be thinking about these things. How, what's going on? Like You can fool all of us for a time. You can't fool God. And a time's coming where the fooling will come to end. So why not make it now? Right? Why not now? Why not today? Make sure your election and calling. We all should do this. We should always do this. should happen in a church every couple of Sundays where someone just presses you hard. And I, I encourage you to do it with me because I want to finish. I, I want to hear well done. This world is not my home. It's falling apart, right? I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with you, too. I want you to come with me. Right? We need each other. And we have to press each other on these things. Compromise is easy, and sin is a real enemy. So that's my first exhortation. Now let me comfort you, though. So here's the first comfort. A day is coming when the unrepented and the wicked will be destroyed. They will be destroyed. Sin will not go unpunished. Crimes will not go unpunished. I can think of molesters that have escaped the law, ones I know personally, because of stupid technicalities. And uh, there's nothing I can do about it. I can think of all sorts of people that fall into terrible categories. Just think of the corruption that we see in our own politics in our country and elsewhere. And we can't do anything, and we end up being like uh, the guys in Psalms and Proverbs. Why do the wicked prosper? Right? We're wondering, why are they doing well? Well, a day is coming when they will be cut down and vengeance will be the Lord's. And that's a great comfort. Now, you may think you may be more spiritual than me and think, oh, we should not feel that way, right? That's not a comfort. That sounds a little sick. Um, But I I promise you, this is a comfort in Scripture. Matter of fact, in 2 Thessalonians, the Thessalonians are being persecuted. And this is the very point that Paul makes to them, to comfort them, Right? You keep, he more or less he's saying, keep focus on the kingdom. Keep doing what you're going to do. I will take care of this. And this, listen, I'm just going to read it to you. I'm not going to really do much commentary here, but I want you to hear it. Um, because we've got real enemies starting to pop up in this country that love wickedness, right? Our country kills babies. Our country is the number one provider of pornography. I know everyone hates us talking about it all the time, but what can we do? It makes more money than the NFL, baseball, and NBA combined. Right? It's like it's someone's downloading videos, like 11, uh, 11 videos every half second. 
It's a big deal. And our country sends that out to everywhere. We have real enemies, enemies that are trying to shut the church down. We see it. We see it everywhere growing in our country and certainly in other countries. It is comforting to know that either they will convert or they will be cut down. Right. And our hope is that they would be converted to know God, to know his mercy, because we would be in their position were it not for the grace of God. And that's our prayer often when we go down to the abortion clinic, like convert them or just destroy it. Right. Um, So here's what Paul says. We ought to always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it's only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each of one, each one of you towards one another grows even greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions, which you endure. So he's encouraged. They're enduring through all this tough stuff. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. For indeed, you are suffering. This is one way God purifies us, right? Through suffering, through trials, through illnesses, through some of the things that Dr. Halla talked about in Sunday school, loss of friends, loss of jobs, people mocking you for your beliefs. Um, he purifies us as we persevere in faith, right? He who endures to the end will be saved. We do that by the, by the power of the Spirit. So he's saying this is... This is showing that God's righteous judgment, like the good sort of judgment. Then he says, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. Right? It's awesome. Nothing will be undealt with. Everything will be unpacked and categorized categorized and dealt with. Sheep and goat, wheat and chaff, unrighteous and righteous. It's all getting dealt with. Right? The wicked will not prosper. And the righteous, by the blood of Christ, will. And that's my my second comfort to you. Um, We who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb will find our name in the book of life on that day. Again, this is from the Belgic... But it is very pleasant and a great comfort to the righteous and elect since their total redemption will be accomplished. Our total redemption, the end of this, right? We've been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. Past, present, future. It's all going to get tied up. There's an end to this. It's amazing. And we're going to see it all accomplished on that day. Then they will receive the fruits of their labors and of the trouble they have suffered. Their innocence will be openly recognized by all, and they will see the terrible vengeance that God will bring on the evil ones who uh, tyrannized them, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. Right? A day's coming where... uh, One story I think of with, uh, again, with Charles Spurgeon, was uh, someone was slandering him, and Spurgeon uh, had uh, information given to him in confidence that would have justified Spurgeon. It would have cleared his name. But since it was given to him in confidence, 
uh, he didn't want to sin and bring it out to clear his name. So he just let his name be uh, dragged through the mud. And after he had died, it was uncovered that he was innocent the whole time. He had the information. How was he able to do that? Well, he's able to do that because a day is coming where he, his name will be cleared. And, and those who, who terrorized him, those who lied and slandered and worked against the church and the church's workers will be held to account. But this gives us power. This gives us power when your man or woman doesn't get elected. This gives us power when there's sickness and when things aren't going the way you don't want to. Because we have an eschatological hope, right? There's a future hope. Things are coming together. And so the final judgment should always be in our preaching, should always be in our mind. It should be a meditation. We should not be scared to look to our children, right? Because we, we see what happens in the book of Judge, Judges. It's easy for a second generation to grow cold. And that happens when their fathers and mothers don't exhort them to faith, right? That happens to church members when we don't exhort each other to faith and to serious introspection, right, and examine ourselves. But God's good. God's good. We're going to see a new heavens and new earth on that day. Uh, he's not going to wash the, wa- the, word, or the world with water, but with fire. And everything will be set right. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to be wonderful. We'll be with God's people, be in God's glory. Uh, all the things that hinder us right now, whether it's sins that we're fighting against or sickness or difficult relationships, will all be done with. And then we'll just exist with God forever and ever and ever. And a million years won't be anything. Won't be anything at all. So preserve, brethren. Don't lose heart. It's hard, but think, I, I think of yesterday when I pulled out my carpet and I laid down on it in preschool and ate cookies and drank juice. It's just like moving so quick. And then I was married and now Hudson, I'm, I'm looking at Hudson's face stretching out and poor kids starting to look like me more. It'll stretch out and then it'll expand eventually. Um, that, the, the wrong direction. Um, but life is moving quick. It's but a vapor. But a vapor. So that's why today is the day to, to contemplate these things and get serious about it. So let's pray. And I hope this encourages you. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we're in Christ. And through him, we will be carried through this world like Noah and his family was carried in the ark. We're safe in you. We thank you so much for the spirit you've given us or the Holy Spirit you've put in us that strengthens us to finish this race that you put before us, God. Uh, we pray we'd be a help to each other, that we wouldn't seek to um, uh, try to bring your kingdom to come in fleshly ways, but we would trust that you work through your word and your spirit, and that we would uh, preach your gospel, that we would um, confront wickedness, but uh, our heart wouldn't be shattered when we see wicked go unpunished, knowing that someday it will be taken care of. And we look forward to that state of, of glory that we'll be in with you forever. We thank you for this. In the name of your son, amen.